read Galatians 5.25, and we're going to read through Galatians 6, verse 5. I appreciate it because it addresses everyone involved here in Galatians, and it does so with hope. Uh, We understand that, well, to this point we've considered a number of these different ones were entangled and put themselves under the yoke of the law. We understand that, and there was hope for them. For restoration and hope for them in repentance. And there were other ones who weren't entangled in that. And there's hope there that they might have opportunity to bless those ones. Be a blessing one to another and help those ones even as the Lord empowered and enabled and led them to help these ones who were entangled. And so we're going to consider these ones tonight. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25, reading through the fifth chapter of the following, or fifth verse of the following chapter. Paul says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. That's where we're going to pause and bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless this lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, trusting that you're going to do a work in each one of our hearts. Father, as we submit to you and yield to you day by day, Lord, in the days that we have left, certainly. We don't know what this vapor of our lives holds, Father, but if we give that time over to you and redeem that time, Lord, for what it is most valuable for redeeming your good things, your riches, Father, we will be blessed in it. So I ask, Lord, even starting right now, you would help us to redeem the time considering your word and that it would be applied to our hearts and our lives in a beneficial, profitable way. Go before us now, Father, and help us to take joy in this. Be honored and glorified, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, St. Paul is consistent with his themes throughout his uh, epistles. He's consistent with the teachings that he was given, um, well, by the Lord to, I want to share specifically to the Gentiles, to all certainly who will listen and be a part of God's church, of the body of Christ certainly. Uh, And one of the themes that he makes very plain to us, and specifically what we're going to consider this evening as we read this small passage here in this book, is that there's blessing that is found in praying for, encouraging, edifying, and lifting up one another. Uh, I think, well, a number of people have, have approached me during our study of this book and said, well, something along the lines of, you know what, we're not under the law, we, we, we understand this, you might say, uh, we get this, you know, the, the law is not something that anyone here struggles with, I would imagine, I think that's, that's fair, uh, probably no one here is dealing with that, but I hope that you've also taken from this study that there are other things that entangle us, other things that ensnare us, other things that hinder us, uh, that need to be dealt with, and for those ones who aren't entangled in certain things. It is our responsibility, and it is not only our responsibility, it's our privilege. Our privilege to deal with those times that there are ones who are entangled in things that might not be something that we've been snagged up in at all. There's blessing found in praying for, and encouraging, and in edifying, and lifting up these different ones, in dealing with situations that arise, um, well, we 
considered a number of different times in, in this study, in other sermons, in other Sunday school lessons, the dealing with the sin that arrives in God's people and how to do it appropriately as an assembly, as members of the body of Christ. And so that's what Paul is dealing with here. I joined together verses 25 and 26 because even though there's a big, huge six here for the chapter that the chapter number that separates it, it comes together quite nicely there, doesn't it? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, it goes on, it's talking about an interpersonal re- relationship there. An interpersonal response and, a, and, and a, a, well, a fellowship and a brotherhood and a responsibility in that fellowship there. And so that's what we are going to consider. It's not just an opportunity that we have for blessing. It's something that the Lord calls us to. To pray one for another, to encourage, to edify, to lift one another up and deal with, well, his errant ones, his people that are entangled. It's part of our reasonable service as we live as living sacrifices to the Lord. It's what he calls us to as an assembly. It's what he calls us to as members of the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul, again, is consistent, consistent with his message, and rightly so, because it was God's message. It's what he gave Well, it's what he gave him to speak to his people. Let me set my bookmark because I'm going to be coming back to Galatians chapter 6 here a number of times. Ephesians chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 3, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are called as children of God to bear with one another. Bearing with one another in love. Now that doesn't just mean, well, (laughs) putting up with people. Uh, If you're my child, then you just need to bear with that person. I understand they are annoying, irritating, obnoxious, rude, crude, whatever the case might be. There is that. We are called to bear with others. But we're also called to hold up with. To bear under with one another. We've been called to this assembly. At least I trust that that's what, why you're here. I hope that you're not here by your own volition. I don't believe you're here for the entertainment value. There's not a lot of entertainment that's here. I trust that you're here because the Lord led you here. If he led you here and he placed you in this assembly and you feel convicted in that placement, then you have a certain measure of responsibility. And that is to bear with one another in love. That means to get under the yoke, so to speak. And bear with one another in their respective situation, their circumstances as the Lord gives us leading. It's to hold up with other people. Um, Well, we used to do, in my old job, we used to, well, perhaps you've heard it called guns and hoses or or fire department versus police department. We used to do those types of competitions and, and that sort of thing. Never failed. There was always a tug of war that was involved. You know, and you know what happens in a tug of war. You set up a rope, have a flag in the middle, and you put the stack of, of people on that one end and the stack on the other end. And it just simply is pull as hard as you can until the, that stack of people crosses the line or whatever, or the flag goes over, or whatever the case might be. You know, it's always one team that, well, each one of them is struggling not to be moved by the other team, right? Eventually, someone gives. Eventually, someone is moved. You're, you're fighting against one another. Typically, I do this sort of thing when I'm talking about the old creation and the new creation. But there are times when we stand against one another and we're pulling and we're resisting and that sort of thing. 
There are times when we need to set our feet, even when it comes to God's people. Set our feet and not be moved. If someone wants to go that way, and the Lord says, I don't have for my people to go that way, there are times we set in our feet and we don't allow ourselves to be pulled that way. But there are other times when it hasn't been set that way, where we need to get on the other side of the rope with that child of God, with our brother in Christ, and pull with them. Pull a certain load with them. Not a sinful load, don't get me wrong. We'll consider that here in just a little bit. But there are times when, well, we need to pull with them. Uh, Now, as far as separation goes, Paul tells us this can happen at times. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. That tradition is God's word. If they don't walk in the manner that he had set out for them at at the leading of God, at the moving of the Holy Spirit, then there is a time when you separate fellowship with them. There is a time for standing immovable and separate, but not every time. Not every time that you have simply a disagreement with the child of God. Not every time. There are convictions and there are positions that we have to hold at times, at the cost of all else, at the cost of, well... Again, fellowship and association even as directed by the Word and the Spirit. But not all of our positions need to be so. Not all of our convictions have to be staunch to the point that we don't separate. And and saints, you know I've preached staunchly the other direction. That there are times, very clearly, that we're called to separate one from another. But not always. Not always. And I'm grateful that the Lord gives hope, right? That he gives hope for, well, even in the times of separation, he gives hope for restoration and he gives hope in repentance and all of these things. There are times when we are called to look at someone and say, this is wrong, I cannot partake of that. But it's never ours to condemn. It's never ours to think of ourselves better by comparison. It's never ours to hold ourselves as higher. We hold the Lord higher. We hold his direction as higher. And so it was that Paul was reminding these ones in Galatians 5. After all of this time, all of this time speaking to these ones that were foolish, that were entangled, that were ensnared, that were bewitched, all of these things that he had called them, he's kind of shifting gears and pointing to those ones saying, you ones who aren't entangled, you ones who aren't ensnared in this, you do understand that there is a responsibility to restore these ones. And he speaks to them How? That is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is always for that child of God to come to repentance. We'll talk about it in a moment. There is a sin that leads unto death. There is that sort of thing. There is that time when the Lord says, it's not profiting you or anybody else for you to continue in this path that you have taken. And I'm going to, in His mercy and in His wisdom, cuts it short for that child of God. There is that time that that takes place. But saints, I'm getting ahead of myself. When that time has not come, may we, never, may we never revel in the separation. May we always pray for that one that restoration might take place. That one or those ones. That there might be some healing that is there. That is the ultimate goal. And so we see that there in verse 1. Paul says to, to the Galatians there, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
Restoration was Paul's desire for these saints. And it was God's, obviously, because the Lord inspired him to write this. And so how should it be done? How should those ones be restored? Well, among other things, and there are a lot of different, but we don't have the time tonight, and I don't feel led to expound on this for weeks on end, just tonight. But specifically here, he says to do it in a spirit of gentleness. And saints, if you've done word studies, and I've done it from this pulpit here uh, a number of times, it speaks, among other things, of humility, of being um, humble. That's what humility is, right? The opposite of arrogant. The opposite of self-righteous. The opposite of, of those things that are boastful and whatnot. It's something that's found in, uh, well, in the facets of the fruit of the Spirit. We see in that fifth chapter prior to our passage here. Where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And there's our word, gentleness, self-control. And then in the context of people being stuck under the law and entangling themselves, he, he makes plain. Against such there is no law. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're entangling yourselves in. There's no law against these things. These are those things that we fall back on. These are those standards, among other things, that we, well, that we should take our thoughts, our actions, our feelings, well, and hold them up to these measuring sticks, among other things again. But these are good starting points, right? Am I at peace? Am I patient? Am I being kind in this moment? Is there goodness involved in this? Am I being faithful to the Lord in His Word? Am I being humble in this situation and this circumstance? God's people are supposed to be gentle. Supposed to be humble. These Galatians who weren't entangled in this yoke of bondage were not to stand there and put their noses up and look down at those ones who were entangled in this. Again, it's consistent. It's consistent with God's word. Now listen, we don't celebrate. And we don't affirm people in their sin. We don't affirm people and encourage them. Man, I, I think every pastor I've ever heard of has probably at some point pointed to an old book back in the day. I, don't, I never read it. I don't even know who wrote it. But I remember always the title, I'm okay, you're okay, or something like that. And there have been all kinds of different derivatives of that style and that thought of thinking. I'm all right, you're okay, as long as we're good people, as long... No, no, that's not, that's not what God says. God says that he, He's the good people. And He makes us cleansed and He makes us righteous. We're not called to look down. And Galatia was not called to look down. Those different ones who were not entangled in this were not, oh, not allowed to look down at those ones who were. Uh, let us not become conceited, self-centered, provoking one another, envying one another. That was a bad word back when I was a kid, when I was in middle school. Oh, he's so conceited. That's what we said about people. Stuck up oftentimes is what we said. He's just stuck up, thinks he's better than everyone. He thinks he's so hot. That's what we, that's what we always said. She thinks she's so hot. Yeah, conceited. It means that you think that you're better than somebody in whatever capacity that might be. We're not called to become that. We're not called to look down on someone, even when we know that they are wrong. Because while we might be better off, I think our brother said that here recently, while we might be better off, we're certainly not better. We aren't. We understand that we can be wrapped up, entangled in the yoke of bondage. There's no place for conceit in the hearts of God's people. Now the sad part is, is that unfortunately, God's people make a place. Make a place sometimes for that conceit. 
When it says restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness there in verse 2, it finishes with this warning. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, right? Isn't that what it says there at the end of verse 2? Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, when you're dealing with someone in restoring them, obviously we need to make sure that we aren't putting ourselves in a harm way to be contaminated, as it were, defiled you might say, with the sin that they're partaking of. But it's not just to join their entanglement that it's speaking of there when it says, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. Uh, It means to approach and to deal with them righteously. To deal with that entanglement correctly, righteously. Watch yourself as you go to deal with this and, and, and contribute to this restoration. Make sure that you do it in a godly manner. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20. They're given as an example here by Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20. Paul expresses some concerns he has for them. He says, For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish. He wants them to be godly. He wants them to be humble. He wants them to be gentle. And he expresses this. Uh, and he, he said, what does he say? I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions. I think King James Version says debates. Um, Well, I'll get there in a second. Jealousies or envying. Outbursts of wrath. I think that's self-explanatory, isn't it? Selfish ambitions. King James says strifes. If you look into Strong's Concordance, selfish ambitions means electioneering, to campaign for yourself, always promoting yourself. Self-promotion, you might say. Backbitings, whisperings. Conceits, there's, a, there's that consideration from earlier, or swellings in the King James. Tumults, you know, just always strife, always something simmering. He was afraid he was going to see these things. You know, these things common in the body of Christ? I would say, sadly, yes. <laughs> I'll hit you where you live tonight because I felt like the Lord is leading me to. Any of these things struggles for you? Are any of these things something that you deal with for yourself? If you aren't sure if these are struggles for you, if Paul is speaking to you here in Galatians chapter 6, then take a moment for yourself tonight to consider and ask yourself. And if you don't ask yourself honestly, saints, when you're dealing with the Lord and the Lord's things, I'll just throw this out there for free. When the Lord gives his instruction, (laughs) well, I read a Garfield comic one time. I don't even... Oh, maybe it wasn't Garfield. Maybe it was Calvin and Hobbes. It doesn't really matter what it was. But it was someone talking about speed reading. Remember those things? Flip the page. And whoever was in the comic said, done. And the person who was with them said, you finished? Yep, all done. Read it front to back. And they said simply, well, reading's no sweat when you don't sweat comprehension. You know, it's no problem. If you don't sweat comprehension, then it's, it's, it's no problem. You can read the Bible front to back, and if you don't sweat comprehension, if you're not honest with yourself, take a moment to actually seriously and sincerely consider what the Lord is preparing for you. Joel just re- uh, prayed just a moment ago. And we can pray that every time we come before the Word of God, or we sit and someone has actually prepared by the leading of the Spirit, or as we just spend time in prayer with the Lord. We can trust that we have a portion being prepared for us in that time. 
And it is of limited benefit if we don't honestly and sincerely consider it. So ask yourself in sincerity tonight. I've been asking myself while I've prepared this, I promise. When you're with somebody, a child of God specifically, since that's the context that we are dealing with here. When you're with someone, do you tend to argue with them? Do you tend to be argumentative? Do you tend to be conflictual with them? Simple question. Not so simple to answer always. Not so easy anyway. Do you tend to point out your own accomplishments? Or your own views that you're proud of and convicted in? Do you tend to diminish their thoughts, their views, their considerations, or their accomplishments even? Do you tend to correct people the majority of the time that you're speaking with them? When you've just parted company with somebody, is it your first inclination to pour the tea with the next person that you're texting or calling or sitting down with? Is it your first, if you don't know what pouring the tea is, I mean, gossip about that one. Talk about that one. No, I don't gossip. I don't gossip. No, I I share prayer requests. (laughs) Yeah, I think we've all been there, certainly, right? Is it your first inclination to share a prayer request with somebody? With perhaps a little bit less prayer on your mind as there is perhaps a bit of gossip. Do you point out other people's flaws to others? Do your thoughts continue when, you, when you've left somebody or when you're in their presence, whatever the case might be? Do your thoughts seem to focus or center on how you stack up with that person? On whatever the context is of that conversation right then or other things? And for better or for worse, do you think, I can't ever, I can't ever stack up with them, I can't match them in their situation and perhaps become bitter about it? Or do you ever consider how easy those ones have it? They just... It just all comes so simple to them. My situation, my scenario, my problems, how undeserving they are of certain benefits perhaps, how messed up they are in their thoughts or their decision-making processes or their choices that they've made, how much lesser they are than you. No, I, these are not my issues. That is our common response because it's framed in a framework of negativity and rightly so. But when we stop and we consider these things, Look at them and ask ourselves sincerely, is this something that I'm guilty of? And take it to the Lord. Lord, you tell me. What did David say? Well, he said, search me, O God, and reveal to me. Reveal to me. It's hard for the Lord to reveal to us when our spiritual eyes are shut. We can say all the words we want to. I can't see a thing while I'm standing up here like this. Likewise, Lord, reveal to me everything that's wrong with me. (laughs) I'm not seeing it. Good. No, it's not what it's supposed to be. Saints, these are mindsets that are common in God's people. When dealing with God's people, when there is no great sin or struggle present, when there is no great entanglement present, if we struggle with these things when we are in full fellowship, and it doesn't matter what age you are, if we struggle with these things when there is no reason for separation, no reason for any kind of contention, No issue, no entanglement. If we struggle in those times, well, to put these things behind us and beside us and and away from us, then how capable are we going to be when it actually comes time, when chaos happens spiritually in our midst or in the body of Christ? How capable are we going to be in lending ourselves to that restoration that the Lord calls for us to partake in? 
not very capable at all if it's not our practice. I said recently I used to counsel med- medic students. New firefighters that were appointed to me or assigned to me or on my crew or something like that. I used to tell them, prepare. Get ready for when chaos, fa- when everything falls apart by taking care of those things that you have control over. I'm not a control freak. I don't think. Maybe I got my eyes closed right now. <laughs> I don't think I'm a control freak, and I wasn't in the fire service, I can tell you that. But those things that I could control, I wanted to. Because when chaos happened, I wanted to be prepared beforehand with those things that I could be prepared of or prepared in. Some of the Galatians were in the thick of chaos, weren't they? Spiritual chaos? What do you mean to tell me? When Paul's using words like bewitched and, and foolish and these sorts of things, there was... Man, there were some struggles there. And they needed to be prepared for that. Saints, we need to be prepared for when chaos comes. We need to be prepared for when... Well, when something comes in and causes us problems. Galatians 6 and verse 2. The time to prepare, by definition of that word, is beforehand. And we do so by bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We can start bearing one another's burdens when there aren't entanglements necessarily there when there isn't a moral ethical spiritual conflicts trying to figure out what my place is in the situation do i need to push them back do i need to separate myself to... no it's so nice and peaceful when we don't have that issue right when we can have full fellowship when you have that opportunity that you don't have to determine what closeness when you can actually be present be available and start bearing burdens at that time So fulfill the law of Christ, saints, we must be willing to contribute to that holding up that the Lord calls us to as members of the same assembly and members of the body of Christ. The Lord brings someone into our sphere of influence. We trust him to lead us in how to deal with that, how to help them to bear up. Listen, I'm no bleeding heart and I'm not. I don't think that it's my job or my duty to meet the financial need, emotional need, spiritual need of every person that comes across my way. I don't have that capability. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. As he leads me and directs me, I will do everything and anything by the Lord's grace and by his, well, by his leading, I trust. I'll do everything that I can for whomever he puts in my way. So we're called to do, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, to love one another. Let us not grow weary while doing good, it says later in the chapter here, verses 9 and 10. Now, don't grow weary. We, it seems like we have an option, don't we? Because he enables us. He empowers us to do what He calls us to. So don't grow weary. Don't, don't lean into the flesh that says, I'm tired of this, literally or figuratively. I'm tired of this burden. I have my own garbage to deal with. Why do I want to stomach His as well? Well, because the Lord said, <laughs> the Lord said, you need to move from here to that position over there and do this, 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 and this. I'm tired, Lord. Well, don't be. Do not grow weary. <laughs> While doing good. Man, I've been sleepy. I mean, these last couple of days, man. I mean, you know, you take vacation or something like that and you get worn out. You know, you go on vacation and you just get tired because, well, things are different. You get tired. Spiritually, we have a choice not to be by leaning into the Spirit. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The Lord gives us the capability of not losing heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity... And He gives us opportunity. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That means your family members who are believers, housemates, church family, neighbors, 
co-workers, classmates, etc., etc. Now, the Lord specifies, and he delineates to you what doing good means, what doing good is in that situation. Sometimes it's nothing more than just bearing up a testimony, not being a jerk to your brother, or not being a jerk to your co-workers. Or, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as that, maintaining a godly testimony. But his word is clear regarding ongoing good, just in general. If we live in the Spirit, and we do if we are believers, let us also walk in the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, leaning into the new creation that is ours. He says to Titus, Paul does, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. That's true. That's part of our life, certainly, to be subject to those authorities above us, to obey and to be ready for every good work, not just to the authorities but to those ones that are, again, within our sphere of influence there. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men, not just believers, but especially to the household of faith. Those ones who we share Christ with. This is what we're called to. It's part of our bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ is to do all of these things. Be ready for every good work as the Lord leads. Speaking evil of no one. Speaking wrongly, maliciously, falsely, or even speaking the truth in a time when it shouldn't be spoken at all. Or to whom it shouldn't be spoken or given. You know what? Let's just be, let's just be kind of rough. We can know someone's a jerk. We don't have to tell everybody else. We don't have to share that with everybody else. We can know who somebody is. It doesn't mean I have to say, what an idiot. We don't have to do that. We're not called to do that. We're called to do just the opposite. Saints, it's important to be so to others as far as showing the fruit of the Spirit, demonstrating that. If we want to bear out Christ in us, the hope of glory and the love that He wants to show in us and through us and even to us, then we need to make sure that we remember humility, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit. We're no better than any other. Continuing in this passage here in Titus 3, Verse uh, 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish. If you have a problem looking down on someone, maybe remember who you would be without the Lord, who you were without Him, perhaps. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Why would we imitate that now when we've been given better and we know better? We were all there when we were unbelievers, or at least had the option, opportunity to be. And we still reflect that, we know. Back in our text passage, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, we're capable of doing that. He deceives himself. May it not be so, child of God. May we not think ourselves to be something when we, particularly in our flesh, and me that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. May we not think that we're something in and of ourselves when we're nothing and deceive ourselves so. Instead, humbly, submissively, honestly, prepare ourselves for when chaos may come by bearing up the burdens of one another. What does that mean? It means to pray for one another, simply. Pray for one another. It means pray with one another. You're a member of this assembly? We're called to a certain order. We have an order of service, an order of operations, you might say. Part of that is prayer. We're called to pray one with another. So 
Well, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16, I mentioned this earlier. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. And he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. The Lord honors the prayers of those who pray in his will. And if the Lord hasn't called for the death and, and the termination of that sinful life, then we need to be prepared to call, uh, call on the Lord for restoration, for healing, for repentance. He desires that we pray for those ones who might take hold of that. What else are we called to do? We're called to bear testimony in our word, bear testimony in our living before one another, to carry that out, to demonstrate the Christ that we share between one another. We're called to know what the Lord asks of us individually, which means knowing the word, doesn't it? And it means assembling one with another. We read this, and pastors love to read this verse, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, to edify and to encourage one another in love and good works. Not forsaking, not setting aside, not forgetting about the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Saints were called as we're bear up with one another to deal with each other accordingly in grace and love and humility. We're called to do these things. Called, directed to, as these Galatians were. Listen, hey Galatians, you ones who aren't entangled, that doesn't mean that you're off scot-free. Disregard everything I say. Make sure that those that those boneheads that are back under the law, make sure that they get the scroll. Make sure that they make sure that they read and you stand right there and you point to them and say, read it. If you need me to explain that's not what Paul was saying to them. He's saying, listen up, you have a responsibility here. These ones that are inside your sphere of influence, these ones that you've been given to assemble with, these ones that are your brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a certain measure of responsibility to bear up burdens. Certainly now that there's chaos falling around you spiritually. But how much better to prepare for that by bearing up with one another beforehand, before chaos. Saints, when we aren't gentle with one another, when we aren't humble before one another, when we aren't free of conceit before one another, we won't be in an optimal place to bless one another, to help one another, and to restore one another when that chaos comes. If we are humble, if we are prepared, if we are, well, bearing up that testimony that the Lord has called for us to have, then good will come despite that chaos. I believe it with all my heart. That's what the word tells us. Let each one examine his own work, it says in verse 4 of our text passage. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Now this can be a little bit confusing when you read this. It can be confusing because it says, well, what does it say in verse 2? It says, bear one another's burdens. And then verse 5 says, each one's going to bear his own load. Well, how does that reconcile with one another? It simply continues the thought of that humility there, that approach to God's people and their entanglements. When we lift one another up, when we bear up one another's burdens, we're intended to examine our own work. Look at ourselves. Test ourselves in our own work. Consider what the Lord has for me to do in this situation. What has the Lord called for me to do, whether by the word, by his leading, in this moment? What does he want from me in this situation? And am I doing it? Am I doing this? And if so, well, you can have rejoicing in yourself alone and not in another. What does that mean? 
Verse 17 of Proverbs 24 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. If that's how we're supposed to feel about the unsaved and those ones who truly are our enemy, those ones who are in league with Satan, does he have us to celebrate or rejoice, uh, have any kind of joy in the failings of another? That's what he's talking about here. There's joy in our own obedience to the Lord. Not in another. Not in another's failings. Not in another's issues. I've worked with different ones, and probably you have too, who are so quick to say, man, they do something, you're, you're terrible at this, or they're terrible at this, or they're terrible at this. All the while, they're doing it just to deflect the issues of themselves. That, that somehow, if they suggest that there's a problem with them, and there's a problem with them, that they wouldn't have that same issue. And it's very transparent. You can see the issues that are there. Saints, when we look at ourselves and we're sincere and transparent with ourselves and with the Lord, and we recognize, Lord, this is what you would have me to do. I hear you telling me this. I'm obeying you in this. This needs to be dealt with. And this is what you have for me to do. When you take those steps and you do those things and you bear whatever measure of that burden that you're called to bear, there's joy in that. Not joy in saying... I'm so much greater than you are because you are just all entangled in this. No, there's joy in just your relationship with the Lord. You're doing, regardless of what happens here. Regardless with what, what their choices are and what steps they take. Certainly we want restoration. Certainly we take joy when they step toward the Lord. But if you do as the Lord calls for you to, to bear up in that burden, you get up under that yoke and they disappear. Well, then you're still blessed in it. And there is rejoicing in yourself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load, it says there in verse 5. The New King James did well to split up those two words. Put load in verse 5, it put burdens in verse 2, whereas the King James Version put burden and burden, which is a little bit more confusing. We're called to bear one another's weights in verse 2. Those individual things that we're well, that are stacked on top of us to endure in the moment. Those weights that are set upon us as the Lord directs and enables even. Set upon us. We're called to help different ones with those individual issues. But each one is going to ultimately stand before the Lord. And they're going to present the whole cargo that they have brought of their life. And that's their load. That's that word that is presented there. Now, there are a number of different translations for it. Invoice is one of them. Uh, it's a whole manifest. This is what I have carried before the judgment seat of Christ. And that will be borne by myself as I stand before the Lord. If you've helped me to carry my weights, if you've come and you've borne up a testimony to me, perhaps my manifest, well, certain things won't be on there because you'll have contributed. If you do as the Lord calls for you to and you bear up my burdens, then that piece of your own manifest, your own invoice, your own cargo that you've brought to the judgment seat of Christ, regardless of what I have done in response to your help, you step forward and you bear up with me. When you step before the Lord, well, it will be noted. It will be noted on your manifest, as it were. Saints, we're called to be humble. Called to be humble before one another. We're called to be humble before the Lord as we Seek to restore one another. It's a privilege to please the Lord in ministering to His people when they are in need, when they are entangled, when they are struggling, when there is chaos that is taking place. 
We need to prepare to do good one for another in times of chaos by doing good when things are sweet. I plead with you, brethren, we'll close with this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, not even small ones, not even little ones, not even little fissures that are created because of small little bitternesses, small little offenses, small little issues, small little struggles, small little histories, small little whatever, or big ones of any of the above. I plead with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. It's the same word as restored. Restored, perfected in the same mind and in the same judgment. Saints, I don't believe it's chaos in our assembly just now, but there are places in the body of Christ that is chaos right now. On the extended... well. The periphery, the periphery surrounding us, there's chaos in the body of Christ. We need to prepare for it. And we have a, a brilliant proving ground here. A brilliant training facility even now where we can learn in the day-to-day, four times a week here, one with another, practicing humility and gentleness and bearing one another up as members of the same church family. Lifting one another up so that when chaos ensues, And you know the enemy, the king of chaos is always coming at us. When chaos ensues, we'll be prepared for that. Prepared for it that we might deal with it humbly and bring back restoration, repentance, and all the things that the Lord has for us. To be humble in dealing one with another.